Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to recap Purple Hyacinth from episodes 58 through 65. We're super excited to do this and get into Purple Hyacinth once again. Will and I both very much enjoy this webtoon, and we're excited to talk about it with you all today. Let's get into it. Episode 58 drops us off right at the Carmine Camellia, right where we left off, and we're still very much in the action. Yeah, Lauren finds out that the person, the masked ninja who was chasing and fighting with her on the roof is actually Kieran, and that they have both individually attended this mission, this rendezvous with the carmine camellia with the phantom scythe members they are both tracking it and they're here for the meeting that they are missing now because they did not communicate this intent with each other it's very funny it's a very funny sequence and they're both basically saying to each other i thought you were a threat i thought you were a threat but moving on from there lauren basically tells kieran that she doesn't really care what he's doing she doesn't really care what he does and not to bother her, but they inadvertently end up on the mission together and they end up working together. It's very interesting because they don't like it and it's unintentional, but whether they like it or not, their partner muscle memory is activated and they fall back into working together fairly seamlessly. Lauren signals to Kieran. Kieran watches their front. Lauren watches their back. She signals him to get under the porch to protect their cover. Once they start working together and neither of them see it as an individual mission, they look out for each other when things go south. And their instinctual reaction is to work together like this. Yeah, there's even a moment where Lauren says, birds of a feather, I suppose. And even she recognizes it, even though they've, they haven't been speaking up to this point. They still work together really, really well. That's an excellent point. They have not been speaking up to this point. They're kind of on the outs. And despite that, their partner chemistry is so strong. Their behavioral patterns, I guess, as partners are just so ingrained. They've even, and this is hilarious to me, because <laughs> we're revisiting their bickering sign language conversations. It's so strong that they've developed their own sign language conversation to the point that they can have full conversations with each other and actively bicker using it without making a single word, but they communicate and know exactly what the other person is saying. It's hilarious. They do end up successfully eavesdropping on Phantom Scythe's conversation, and they do learn some pretty important plot details that there's a rebellion going on within Phantom Scythe and that there's going to be explosives in the city fairly soon. Yeah, there's some cargo that's arriving on different ships. The last one is set to sail on February 12th and is arriving on the 14th. They have all of the cargo hidden underground and it's under surveillance and they're planning to strike in less than two months. So there's not a lot of time to interfere. And the cargo in question is nitroglycerin meaning that Phantom Scythe and the mission that they're planning is another bombing that, in their words, makes the Allendale tragedy 
look like a tiny sparkler in comparison to what's to come. And this is the crucial information that Kieran and Lauren are able to overhear and take note of. Kieran and Lauren hide while everyone leaves. They get to see a little bit of a look at the messenger. We don't really see his face, but we know that he has a tattoo on one of his wrists. And he is a little bit mysterious. He's able to appear and disappear really quickly. We don't really know who this guy is, but it's going to be interesting to find out if there's anything more to him as a character in the story. The other Phantom Scythe members trickle out as well, leaving Lorne and Kieran free to try and get out of the Carmine Camellia and escape. And in their attempt to escape, they run into Lady A. It's really strange. It's definitely a comedic moment, and I think it lands for us as a comedic moment. It definitely did for me, but it's also hella suspicious. And Will, I think we've talked about this before, she shows up in all of these very convenient places, you know, during their heist with Anslow, outside the police station, all of these places. And now it just leads you to think, who is Lady A? What's going on? Is it a funny coincidence that she's showing up in all these places, or is it a hint of something more nefarious? We'll find out, I guess, but that was kind of my first reaction. Why is she everywhere? Why? Why indeed. But because she shows up, we get the classic stuck-in-a-closet-until-X-amount-of-time-is-past trope, where in episode 59, it starts off with Lauren and Kieran being stuck in a storage closet. Yeah. They got some some forced proximity going on for the next episode. I think it works in this scenario because Lauren and Kieran have to talk at some point. They can't just ignore each other. And this gives an opportunity for that to happen, for them to be in the same space. Because you know that Lauren, at the place that she's currently at, she's not going to want to spend an extended amount of time with Kieran. Gritty. Do you have any takeaways for episode 58? Just a couple. I think this episode was a very smart way of showing us how Lauren feels about Kieran. She was never going to say anything or express it into words how much Kieran hurt her, but the turnabout of I don't care what you do to actively grabbing his wrist and pulling him to safety shows that she does care. She didn't need to do that. She could have just left him, but she cares about him enough to help him in that moment, and he's not totally dead to her. I think you can also see in this episode how Lauren and Kieran have integrated with each other so well, considering it's really only been a month or two in the Purple Hyacinth timeline, and these two have worked together on a few missions, but they've developed a very harmonious rhythm with each other as partners, as people who have each other's backs, to the point where they follow each other's lead without second thought, and they're squarely on the outs with each other right now, so that's very hard to do, but it's just an instinctual behavioral pattern that they get back into with each other. Yeah, it's natural for them. It is. And to have this instinct and rhythm while they're really not talking and they're not in a good place is pretty remarkable. Speaking of not talking, Lauren and Kieran have what I've been calling the talk, or at least part of it in episode 59, while they're stuck together in the closet. Yeah, Lauren and Kieran are stuck in this closet. They have nowhere to go. They're forced to be around each other until the coast is clear when everyone leaves at 3 a.m. It's a long time to be stuck with someone in a room, and as soon as Lauren gets 
a minute to breathe, she ends up flashing back to the night in the cave in episode 43, where she sees Kieran's face and her own terrified one as he strangles her, and she has to physically move away from him. It's very powerful to read, actually. She can feel his hands on her neck still, and Kieran notices this distress. She does a pretty good job of hiding it, but he pays attention, he knows what's happening, and he looks away. She tells him to stay away, and it's kind of an unconscious effort to feel a little safer around him because she very much does not feel comfortable. And despite feeling uncomfortable, Lauren is the one who actually starts talking about what happened that night. Yeah, Lauren thinks her way through her panic and flashback, and she starts writing down notes from the Phantom Scythe meeting, and she, like you mentioned, opens the topic with Kieran. And they talk shop, basically. They talk about what they just overheard, about the fact that they have until the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, funnily enough, to find that underground hideout and foil the Seventh Apostle's plans possibly identify the dark-haired woman and the other associates, and defuse the bomb, basically. Off of this conversation, Lauren's mind goes to Allendale, and she starts stewing in guilt and worry about how many more people will die if she fails her mission. She thinks of Dylan, and she sort of makes a direct comparison with her situation then and now with two months versus one hour, and the fact that she does this shows that she hasn't really forgiven herself and that she doesn't give herself the grace and the allowance of the situation she was in at the time. She was a young child and she wasn't sure of what she heard, those lies in the crowd. She had only one hour. Essentially, she's got this dark cloud above her. Kieran has noticed this the entire time. He looks away. He's got a dark cloud over him too. He kind of knows that he is impacting her, and he's trying to make her feel a little more at ease by taking up as little space as he can. And this is where Kieran offers a bit of an apology to Lauren for what happened. Yeah, it's sincere. He kind of acknowledges that their deal is off, and the last thing that she wants to do is probably speak with him. But I think he wants to offer as much as he can to ease her mind as he's able to. He extends the olive branch, so to speak, and makes a promise, a pretty important one actually, to Lauren, that regardless of any orders that he had received from Phantom Scythe, that he would never harm Lauren or any of her co-workers, and that he intends to follow through with that as sort of something to offer to Lauren. Yeah, he says that there's a lot at stake right now, but at least he's hoping that she won't worry about that. He also acknowledges to her that she was right about the prison tower and what happened there and that her anger was justified and that his reaction to her was not. He doesn't expect her to forgive him and he's not asking her to. He just sincerely wants to express to her that he will not cause her any more harm than he already has. Yeah, this is the closest Kieran gets to expressing his care for Lauren. I think ever so far in this webtoon. Yeah, neither Kieran or Lauren are prone to expressive demonstrations of care for each other, but you're totally right. This is the most vocal that he's been about it, and he really is just trying to express, I think, how sorry he is, but 
ultimately, I think he recognizes that with the place that Lauren is at right now, he's just trying to ease some worry because he knows that she's worrying and that she feels guilty and that she feels a lot of stress from it. And he is trying to ease as much of the worry and stress as possible by promising those things to her and acknowledging that he's hurt her. Yeah, a grand apology here probably is not what Lauren wants or needs. No, and that's why I think that this apology worked so well, because he really approached the situation with an empathetic point of view. He was paying attention to where she was. He tried to offer her what would help her and not something that would assuage his own guilt and conscience. I really like that he laid things out for her to take in, and he didn't expect anything from her in return. He made that gesture, especially by saying that he would defy orders. That means a lot coming from him, and it puts a lot at stake for him. And he wasn't doing all of this to get anything back from her. He just wanted to offer her something, which I think was the absolute right move to make. Especially considering that Lauren is still very traumatized. This is something that's going to take time for her to heal. There's a lot between now and her feeling safe and trusting Kieran again. There's a lot that still needs to happen. And it's going to take some time for her to process this apology as well and see how she feels about all of this and him. But the good thing now is that she has more information about him and his feelings and where he stands. Yeah, and at the end of the episode, too, we get Tristan Sinclair, shady, shady Tristan, back at it again. He's eyeing Lauren's string board, and he says, what's your angle here? Oh, man, I had feelings about this one. Yeah, shady as hell, ominous and sus AF. What is this man up to? What does he mean by what's your angle? It's, <sighs> I definitely got ominous vibes off of this. What do you think? I think you and I have suspected that he's involved somehow, and this is kind of pushing him into the I might be a villain into I'm more of a villain. Yeah, he is definitely up to something. We don't really know what it is, but the story is definitely setting him up. And I think there's more to come in the following episodes that we'll get into, but this was sort of the first look at what that might be. Any other takeaways from this episode, Will? Just a small one. I'm not normally a big fan of the forced proximity trope. I thought it was done actually pretty well here. I do wish the setup for it was a little bit different. I'm glad that we got it because it meant we got part of the talk between Lauren and Karen which we've been dying for up to this point. Yeah, I have to agree with you. This was done pretty well, and I think it was fairly necessary. I don't think Lauren would have voluntarily shared space with Kieran <laughs> at all. No, not not at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lauren. We had to lock you in the closet for this to happen. Yeah, they're both stuck in the closet, so. Yeah, well, but now they've left, and we are moving on to episode 60. And it opens with Lauren having a moment and being a little introspective about what the heck just happened. Yeah, it's the morning after, and she's really just processing everything that happened the night before. <laughs> There's a lot for her to think about, and she's thinking about the revolution, the bombing, and, of course, Kieran's apology. She knows that he wasn't lying, but she still can't bring herself to trust his words, to trust him yet, 
And she kind of reminds herself that he's an assassin and that she shouldn't forget that because we all know what happened the last time she forgot that. Yeah, this was a really important moment, again, for Lauren to breathe, process things that we've been getting for the last couple episodes. It's not just something that Lauren needs, but it's something that I think the story needs, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I'm glad that she got that time. While this is happening, though, <laughs> we get that mysterious, weird photographer dude following her around again. He has white hair, he's got the hat, and he's got the missing ring finger, and he's taking photographs of her again. We've seen him once before in the town square in season one. And I'm so curious about this because we don't know what team he's playing for. We don't know who he is. He's missing the finger like the driver was who drove Lauren's parents' car and supposedly perished. But we don't actually know if he's the same person. Do you have any theories about this guy, Will? I don't. I'm just along for the ride like Lauren's parents were. Oh, no. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm not saying the story is going to blow up, but I'm just, I don't have any theories, Kriti. Well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't have any hardcore theories myself either, but there was a very smart comment that I read on this episode that posited that this mysterious photographer is related somehow to Tristan Sinclair, because when he showed up the first time, was around the time that Tristan made the public speech in the square, and now he's showing up again when we see Tristan ominously show up at the end of last episode. So to me, this sounds like a fairly solid theory, and I agree with it so far, but I'm kind of like you. I'm along for the ride. We'll see what ends up happening with this guy and who he's playing for. The next scene rolls in, and Lauren shows up to work, and Kieran has gotten everyone coffee. It's really hilarious. He is ultra polite boy this morning. He is offering coffee to everyone in the office. Lucas, Kim, Will. Lucas is in a mood. <laughs> is in such a mood this morning. Kim is 100% simping to the max. Uh, and then you get some banter between Kim and Will. It's just, you know, different comedic hijinks in the morning. That's kind of the vibe of this part of the episode. Lauren comes in, and she's immediately like, okay, what the heck? What's going on? Uh, and Kieran is kind of sort of playfully messing with her that she had a late night when she refuses his coffee offer. And this part of the episode is pretty light on plot stuff, but it is really cute, and it is fun to see the interactions between all of the different characters. It raises the question, though, why is Kieran doing this? Part of it is that he wants the outward appearance of being nice, obviously. There's some benefit to that. But I think the real reason, I think you and I both think the real reason is that he just wanted to give Lauren a cup of coffee after a late night. I know. It's his way of offering a caring gesture, but sort of masking it with offering it to everyone and not making it specifically about her. Partly because she wouldn't take it from him if it was specifically to her. She didn't take it from him anyway, but, <laughs> but she wouldn't have taken the offer specifically from him. And also because they're around a lot of other people that don't know that they know each other. But it is very sweet. Yeah. In the middle of this, though, Kim and Will get called away by Detective March to discuss the loon list. Yeah, they have a discussion about their progress 
in tracking down and identifying the police informant half of Loon. And this is one of my favorite parts of this episode. It touches on a really, really cool question that comes up whenever you have this kind of internal investigation of other characters where the question gets raised, do we sell out one of our own? And if it's someone we're really close to, like, what do we do? We find out that they're one of them. Yeah, we'll get into later episodes this question of valuing friendship over duty. But the cool thing about this conversation that I really loved is that March, Kim, and Will all recognize the gray area that they're all stepping in by hunting Loon this way, as well as the gray area that Loon themselves are operating in. March kind of opens it up and he says, you know, it feels wrong, doesn't it? It feels like we're on a manhunt. And they all recognize that even if they find out who's behind those files, exposing their identity, it would be a death sentence. So despite them acknowledging that they can't blame an individual for going around the system, an imperfect system, to defend the ideals and values that the system is failing to protect, they unfortunately serve a law and represent that system, that imperfect system, and they have to continue on this path that they are on. Yeah, and in that moment, you really get a sense of the shared sense of duty that they have for their job and their positions, and it'll be really interesting to see what becomes of that. Yeah, at this point, while they recognize the mixed feelings that they all have and the unfairness of the current system, I think they still believe in their ability to make sure that the right people are accused and to protect the innocent people involved. They can't fix everything, but they are confident that they're able to do as much as they can. And it's interesting to see the discussion they have about specific people in the department that they are investigating, Lauren being one of them. I'm not sure if there's some foreshadowing with Kim's comment about Lauren being on track to be March's boss before she was demoted, but, you know, we'll see if there's anything that comes out of that. But the notable thing that I took away from this is that Detective March's opinion is that they must remain impartial no matter who the culprit is. But it'll be interesting to see how Kim and Will grapple with that question. Yeah, and one notable thing, too, is the Kieran connection to this scene. He's listening in, he's using his stalking skills to good use, and eavesdropping. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was intentionally eavesdropping here or if he just happened by <laughs> and he heard something, but he heard this exchange. He knows that they're investigating Lauren, and we'll have to see what he does about that. We move right along through to episode 61, which opens with Lauren being left off the patrol. Will shows a little bit of concern, and he says, no, Lauren, you should not. You should rest. And she ends up in the archives because she wants to investigate a little bit more about her parents. Yeah, her mind is still plagued with everything that she overheard at Carmine Camellia from the Phantom Scythe members, and she's still reeling from the information that the driver didn't die in the car crash with her parents like she initially thought. She's passing by the archives and she knows that they still have records there of her parents' death, so she sneaks in. And who does she find but Mr. Archivist himself? The new archivist. <laughs> oh, it's Kieran. Whoa. I know. Kel surprise. Yes. <laughs> um, and they kind of banter. And he offers his help saying, 
I could help you if you told me why you're here, but she doesn't need it. She knows exactly what she's looking for. And while this is happening, Captain Herman shows up to have a chat with Kieran. Yeah. And it's here that we learn that Lauren doesn't actually have access to the archive. Yeah. Herman inquires after her because he knows that she's not on patrol and he, I guess, is keeping tabs on her. He kind of doesn't really like Lauren. And Kieran sort of covers for her. <laughs> he tells the truth that she's in the archives. And Herman, there's a beat where everyone is panicking, including Lauren, because she's not supposed to be there. She snuck in. And Herman just laughs. He's like, ah, ha, 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 good joke. And, <laughs> and Lauren can breathe again. But we learn from that conversation that the locks have been specifically changed so that Lauren can't come in, so that she can't have access. And we don't really know why, other than perhaps Herman having a beef with Lauren. I don't know. It very likely has to do with Lauren's history with the department, her outburst earlier that we learned about. And I find it interesting that she knows the code anyway, despite having been banned and the code being changed. So. It raises a few questions. How does she have access, actually? And on their way out of the archives, they start having a rather important discussion. Yeah, Kieran mentions to Lauren that Detective March and her two best friends, Kim and Will, are leading a hunt for loon suspects in the precinct, and that her name is on the list. And it doesn't seem to surprise her. I think it makes sense to her that they would be hunting somebody down and she's not surprised that they suspect her. Karen also mentions to Lauren that he might have a lead about the nitroglycerin, that Grey Chapel, one of the poorer districts and neighborhoods, is worth exploring. And I think this conversation that they have here is pretty notable because they both recognize that whatever is happening with the Phantom Scythe and the bombing is much bigger than both of them. Lauren says, if it weren't for the ticking bomb over all our heads, I would remind you that I don't want anything to do with you. And Kieran reassures her. He says, I remember, don't worry. But they both acknowledge that whatever's happening is bigger than either of them. And they are kind of put into another forced proximity situation, you could say, where they're forced to work together on this because they're the only two that know about it and are able to do anything about it. They can't share this with the police. They can't share this with anyone else. So they have to get the job done. And they make plans to do just that at Great Chapel tomorrow night to investigate. And guess who's back from their patrol? Oh, boy. <laughs> Kim and Will catch Kieran and Lauren making plans to meet up at Great Chapel tomorrow night at 10 p.m., which is really late. And so Kim and Will are both like, see you for what? Like, what's happening? And Lauren is sweating. Yeah, she has no idea what to do. And our boy, Kieran, steps up to the plate Swoops and pulls in. out the fake dating card. <laughs> uh, we Okay, we knew that this was going to happen. We knew that this was going to be a fixture, a trope that we were going to explore this season. Um, and I'm not mad about the way this happened. Kieran is super sly. He's like, oh, Lauren, you didn't even tell your friends. He's looking real, you know, bashful with the hand on the neck. And Lauren's like, tell them what? I was like, what's going on? She's panicking a little bit. And Kieran lies. We can see, you know, I guess we can't hide it much longer. 
Lauren and I are dating, and everyone, <laughs> everyone is shook. Everyone is stunned. It's, it's really hilarious. It's a really funny, great episode cliffhanger. Really well done. Those faces all these characters make are going to be memes for a long time coming. Very, very well done. Speaking of memes, if you haven't checked out the Purple Hyacinth Instagram tag, I highly encourage you to do so. There's some really funny fan content there. But moving on with the actual episode, Will, do you have any takeaways from episode 61? I think one of the ones that you and I both had was how cavalier Lauren and Kieran are about their conversation. They're talking in the archive room. They're not really trying to be that secretive, and they carry their conversation outside, which is why they get overheard. I thought that was a little bit strange. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. Because, like, if you think about it, Lauren and Kieran are supposed to be really, really secretive. They're doing work that if they get caught, it's basically a death sentence from either end. And it doesn't make sense to me when you've built up the stakes so high. Why are you talking out and about in the archives, out and about in the hallways of the police precinct. Like, isn't there another archivist who can overhear you? There definitely is another archivist. And are they really surprised at this point that they were overheard? Ah, stressing me out, man. Another takeaway for me is the fake dating card. It's a big thing to drop in any kind of webtoon, even if it's like a romance drama one, which this one is not. So it's a much bigger deal. And it'll be interesting to see where the cracks show to the other characters if anyone investigates it further or learns something that is contrary to Kieran and Lauren's story. Yeah, well, I'll go in more into my point on that in the next episode a little bit, but I agree with you. It is going to be interesting to see how much they follow through with the fake dating trope and that story for the two of them. What I'm also curious about is what Herman wanted Kieran for, because he came in wanting Kieran for some sort of assignment. And I don't know if that is something innocuous. It could be. Could very well be something harmless, not related to the overall plot. Or is it related to something with Lauren? Or is he wanting some other task for, from him? So that's what I'm curious about from here. Rolling right into episode 62, we pick up right where we left off. Kim and Will mm. are still freaking out a little bit and confused. And Lauren is also freaking out with them. Yeah, we're doing some real creative storytelling here, <laughs> some real creative ad-lib alibying here, as the title says, with Kieran and Lauren kind of spinning their quote-unquote dating history for Kim and Will. And to be honest, I think they do a pretty good job. I think they do a pretty good job of tying together the different pieces and stringing a dating story on the spot. They both incorporate as much truth as they possibly can. They did meet two months ago. They did first meet in a cafe, or at least first see each other in a cafe. And Kieran even gives the both of them an alibi for the Anslow arrest by saying that they were out on a date at the Arlequin. Yeah, I find it interesting that Kieran is really, really good at making up the alibi on the spot. Kieran, have you daydreamed this scenario before? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he does tell the truth about being stunned by Lauren's eyes, which is kind of funny because she's like, ah, oh, more pensive eyes, crap. And then she realizes that he's not lying, 
which I find pretty hilarious, and definitely the shipper in me is very happy about that moment. But what's most impressive to me is that they've come up with a actually a pretty plausible explanation for them meeting late, like around 10pm or midnight, on a regular basis. They're both really busy, and so they got into that habit of meeting at crazy hours. And it works, especially because Will and Kim know Lauren doesn't sleep, she has crazy hours, and that's impressive, considering I think that's one of the most suspicious parts that they overheard, or that you could say about their scenario. Like, why are you meeting so late at night, you know? I think it'll be interesting to see if Will and Kim actually buy it. Especially Kim. I feel like Will is not the kind of guy to question these types of things. He's like, all right, all right, it's your business. We'll let you be. But Kim is like, okay, what happened? How did this happen? When did this happen? She's gonna be more inquisitive. She's a little bit nosier. And she's also close with Lauren. So she might question, you know, like, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? Um, in some ways, I think they could explain a lot of things to them. Some of Lauren's awkwardness with Kieran or their awkwardness with each other in the precinct and Will seeing Lauren leave with Kieran on that first day. But I'm curious at what point will the lies pile up and start contradicting each other because that's what tends to happen with this kind of thing. And I know, Will, you spoke a little bit about your thoughts on that, but we'll just have to see how, how this fake dating scenario goes and how far they take it. Yep. And then we follow with Will going home. And we get a little bit of a peek into his personal life. Yeah, we get a little more of a look into Will as a character. He's kind of been on the back burner for most of this webtoon. Lauren and Kieran really are the focus of Purple Hyacinth, as they should be. But we really get to see a little bit more of Will this episode. He is very kind and caring to the staff around him. He's just generally good egg, and they love him because of how understanding he is. It seems like his father, who runs the house, is pretty strict. And the episode ends with a bit of a cliffhanger. He walks into a room, and we get the blurred text trope, but we see Will's horrified face. Yeah, we don't really know who he's talking to. Ostensibly, he's talking to someone in his family, someone in his home, maybe his mom. We've had hints about his mom being sick, not doing well. And it's hard to tell exactly what his expression is. We have a lot of questions about Will's home life. And we get a few hints into that this episode, especially more of a view of his father. It seems like he's very strict and exacting. And I get the impression that Will feels the burden of carrying his family's problems, of solving them, resolving them, taking care of things. And... It's a bit of a pressure-filled situation, and he's expected to overachieve in order to live up to certain expectations. He needs to be perfect, and that's why he is so nice, he is so accomplished, all of these things. Yeah, and then episode 63 rolls around. There's a bit of a weird transition, shall we say, where we don't get a resolution from the blurred text cliffhanger and Will's shocked face. We get a moment with Lauren at home and it's another moment for her to breathe and process things yeah she's thinking about investigating the other precincts for the information that she was searching for the other day and then we go back to the police precinct with will working at his desk and this is where the cracks start to show for will kim comes over to try and 
be her usual self, tease Will a little bit, and she's not really getting a response. Mm -hmm. Will is definitely subdued, and she notices the difference. But before she can really do anything about it or ask him about it, they both get pulled into Herman's office and get severely chewed out for not submitting their reports right. I guess especially Will. He's messed up a few things and they get yelled at. And then the episode transitions to later in the night when Kim is at the shooting range. She's pondering a few things. Namely the fact that both of her friends at the precinct have been acting really strange lately. Lauren never told her about her date, Will is off his usual self, and it registers as weird for her. She mulls over the list of officers that they've been asked to investigate, and she's thinking to herself, if it's really as I suspect, what will William do? She goes into the office, and she notices that Will is still here, really late, and Kim is a good sergeant, she's a good friend. She stays to support him, and then later ends up walking him home. Yeah, and it's during this walk home that they have a rather interesting discussion. Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts of this episode, actually. They broach the question of what they would do if Loon really was one of their colleagues, or someone they were close to. In Kim's words, would you value duty over friendship? We've been hinted this before. Kim is a pretty loyal person, and it seems like she's thinking pretty critically and not in a follower worker be mindset kind of way where she's thinking of taking her own individual action despite what's been mandated. Will, however, has a little bit of a different perspective. He sees this as something he has to follow because it's what is expected of him. I thought this line was pretty insightful where he says, what I want always seems to be in conflict with what is wanted of me. And he expresses feeling the need to act perfect and restrained all the time. Kim's response to this is interesting, because she says, You've never restrained yourself with me. She hasn't seen this side of him, I guess, because he's always been much more free with her. He's bantered with her freely, rolled his eyes at her, and I guess she brings out that side of him. And it leads to Kim and Will having a moment when he's seeing her with sort of new eyes. They continue on home. And Will ends up finding Kim's watch, which is very important to her, in her coat pocket. And he realizes that it's broken. Yeah, this episode felt a little bit weird. Yeah, it felt like we were missing some transitions or some panels coming in and out of some of these scenes. It feels like there were certain points that were trying to be made, but they weren't unfortunately landing. It just felt a little off because Will is usually very pleasant. He's very well put together. And then out of nowhere, he's getting chewed out for making mistakes. We didn't really see any buildup going into that. And then that moment with Kim at the end, I get that him and Kim are bonding or having like a moment walking home, but that look that he gives her, it felt a little bit out of nowhere to me, and I think it could have done with maybe some more transition uh, or building that moment up a little bit more. Yeah, I feel very similarly that the shift kind of turned to Kim and Will when we haven't really had too many Kim and Will character building moments before this point in the story. We had the moment between them after Harvey's death, which was very well done, but this one felt a little bit out of place. Yeah, I think the comparison with the moment after Harvey's death is great because that moment with Kim and Will 
made a lot of sense to the events of the story at that point in time. So even though we hadn't had a lot of build-up for them in their relationship with each other in the webtoon before that, it fit in pretty well. This one, there wasn't really a reason we had a focus on them. It just kind of happened. Yeah, this whole interaction continues on in episode 64, and it gets a little bit more intense. Yeah, Will gets increasingly distraught about the broken watch, saying that he thinks he broke it, he has to fix it. He's really breaking down, and he's blaming himself. He's kind of spiraling a little bit, and Kim tries to ground him, but it doesn't seem to work. It gets a little worse, and then she ends up yelling, you don't always have to fix everything, Will. And they have this moment where they're sort of like staring at each other and it's very intense and it's a moment of tension and she lets him know that the watch is already broken. Yeah, I think it's a really cool metaphor too for Kim as a character, right? She's been broken this whole time, but on the surface, she looks fine. The watch is in pristine condition. It looks fine, but it's been broken. Yeah, it's a great point. I really like that as well. And it just sets up a curiosity to learn more about Kim and what's going on under her surface. Then we also get the musical moment where Will's playing and singing a song that ends up being reflected in the webtoon. There's some beautiful playing, singing, and it's from there that we cut to Lauren, who is also brooding. This is just a very broody chapter. She's mulling over the three Phantom Scythe members that were in the car and the death of her parents, and we see a flashback to the moment that she learns of their death. Her uncle Tristan comes and hugs her, and then we see the funeral. Will is standing there, child Will and child Lauren are standing there, their families are friends. We also see Will's father is standing there as well, and we don't realize this until episode 65, but... There's a man standing to the left of Tristan who is holding onto Lauren's shoulders, and that man is most certainly Dakan Reismel, who is the right hand to the king. And we also see, and this is one of the most interesting parts of the webtoon for me, and it opens up a lot of questions. Will's father, in that conversation at the funeral, they're talking about the death and how they passed and the road conditions. It was a car accident. Will's father says something that registers as a lie for Lauren, and that is, we never had an argument we couldn't settle. And I am so curious about what this means. We see some interesting hints being bridged about the connections between Will's father, Tristan, Dakon Reismel, who is kind of portrayed in a pretty shady way in season one as the right hand of the king. What are the connections here? We also know there's some shady stuff going on with Tristan. How is the first generation, how are their actions impacting the younger? There's a lot of interesting things being hinted at in this flashback that I'm so curious to get more into and learn more about later on in this webtoon. Yeah, also in this episode, Kieran is also in a broody mood. He starts pondering the mission he's been given to find Loom. Yeah, he wonders how long his patience will last. I assume he's talking about the leader. And honestly, I'm a little amazed that it took us this long to get another mention of his assignment from the leader. 
I think the last time we mentioned it was in episode 52, which surprises me considering how high we've built the stakes to be with this mission. And to wait this long to address it again, it feels like we're, you know, puncturing a balloon a little bit, letting some of the tension out. And it's making us, certainly making me feel like it's not as big of a deal as it's originally presented to be. Yeah. Part of that tension, though, may have been released by the Kim and Will intermission mm-hmm. we had. Yeah, it's true. We should get into some of our thoughts on that. Yeah. I think, Kurti, you and I both felt that this felt a little out of place. Not that these episodes were bad. Individually, they were very good, actually. But in terms of where this season has been and where the whole series has been, they didn't quite fit. These are definitely two very objectively beautiful episodes. We've got the lovely music, we've got the beautiful intersection between all of the different characters and their brooding, and I could definitely see where this episode was going in terms of emotional impact. I think what didn't quite land for me is that a lot of it felt like exposition, like we're being told that things are happening or being told the way to feel about something instead of actually presenting the moment and letting us sink into it and feel it for ourselves. I think an example that I can give is when Kim is leaving Will's home and Will is playing the piano, and she remarks that the song that Will is playing is the song from the music box and that I didn't think someone would ever sing it to me again. It's just a lot of exposition instead of perhaps showing us a flashback or showing us a moment of Kim listening to the music box and letting us make a connection for ourselves in a way that's more subtle and that allows us to really sink into that moment a little bit more and feel that emotional impact for ourselves. Yeah, that moment felt a little heavy-handed and I felt the same way about Will's progression to his kind of break. It didn't feel like this was built up to And while we did get moments, we haven't established him in the same way we have Kieran and Lauren, or at least we haven't established them enough to make this moment feel justified. Yeah, I would agree with that. It felt a little out of nowhere because it was so intense and because we hadn't had enough buildup or enough hints in other places, and they don't have to be super big or paid a lot of attention to but they had to have been there and they weren't there to make it feel like an appropriate reaction for will the character that we know him to be to have it felt like something that was sort of inserted a little bit to have a reaction but you know it's the kind of thing of like we're told that this is what happened but it didn't feel earned or organic It's unfortunate because we both like Will and Kim and we want to know more about them and we want to get some really good scenes and backstory about who they are as characters and a buildup of their relationship, not just Lauren and Kieran. But this one felt like a little bit of a miss in terms of how certain emotional impacts just didn't land. Also, we should mention here, we get confirmation that Kieran grew up poor. We get a flashback of him in tatters. And he's into some trouble. He's running away. It's possible that he was a great chapel child. Yep, but moving on to episode 65. I really liked this one. It was, this one was a fun episode. We start off with Tristan getting a call, and we 
hinted at this earlier. It's from Dakon. Turns out that the king's right-hand man, the potentially shady dude that we saw in season one with the king, is Lorne's godfather. And he seems to be a doting one. When he learns that Lorne isn't home, he asks to talk with Tristan for a moment, which makes you a little curious, considering the hints we've gotten about both of them being a little shady. What is it that they have to discuss? We'll have to uh, wait and find out on that one, though. I know. In the meantime, Lorne is out on a date. Well, it's not a date, but it is a date. It's the only kind of date that these two are capable of having. Investigating. (laughs) Investigating shady neighborhoods, looking for bombs, and looking for the Phantom Scythe. Sounds about right. We finally get our first look into Great Chapel. This neighborhood slash slum slash whatever you want to call it. We get to have a really good in-depth look at the desperation, the dissatisfaction, and the hunger and pain caused by the abject poverty that the Phantom Scythe feeds on to fuel their manifesto. And Kieran shares a little bit more about how the Phantom Scythe operates. They work in a series of subterranean passages and a big network that they call the Underworld. And this is where the Grim Goblin, among other establishments, is located. They connect to some above-ground locations like the Carmine Camellia that aren't what they first seem to appear as. And this is kind of where they start their search. There's a lot of abandoned underground sword space, whether Phantom Scythe related or not, in Grey Chapel. And it's the perfect place to store some nitroglycerin. Yeah, and along the way, we get to see Lauren and Kieran back at it again, working together. Yeah, I've really missed this. This episode reminded me a lot of their earlier Loon escapades, and it helped me realize that this is one of the places where the webtoon is strongest at, is when we have Lauren and Kieran working together side by side, sharing knowledge. But going back to the episode... Lorne and Kieran are investigating all of these different locations in Grey Chapel. Kieran has a moment while Lorne is looking at all of them, and he envisions red fingerprints and marks around Lorne's neck. And in the next moment, it's gone. It's a fleeting moment, and it's really his guilt eating at him and manifesting in a daydream kind of vision. And along the same vein... We see Lauren thinking to herself that she can't believe that she's here cooperating with Kieran just like she did before. And she has a whole internal monologue about how she wouldn't have even have known where to search without his help. And that all of this poverty that she's seeing firsthand, maybe for the first time, is what these pamphlets were denouncing. Pacifist groups were not paid attention to or remembered. And they're only paid attention to when they resort to violence like Phantom Scythe. And it's some new considerations that she's taking into account that the frustration of the people, the disadvantaged, must have been genuinely horrible for it to even come to that in the first place. It's a conversation that she and Kieran have later on about civil revolution being needed. Yeah. The episode closes with Lauren finding the Orion and Sons connection that she found back in episode 54, and they go in together and discover together that it's a murder scene. Mm-hmm. They find pamphlets 
and they see blood that looks pretty fresh. And that's the cliffhanger for episode 65. Yeah, this was a good episode. I really liked this episode. We had a lot of good plot movement, and we got some good old-fashioned Loki hijinks that I am totally a fan of. Yep, it's those hijinks that I've been really missing from Purple Hyacinth. I agree. I think I mentioned this earlier, so I won't dwell on this too long, but this really is one of the strongest parts of the webtoon. Their partnership, specifically, and the hijinks they get up to, and the way that they interact with each other, either individually or together. And we were really long overdue, and I'm realizing, especially, you know, 15, 16 episodes in from the premiere of season two, that we've been missing this. Any overall takeaways for this episode, Will? I thought this was a great cliffhanger to leave us off on for the next couple episodes. It felt like a nice return to form for the main story. I would agree. We also got some really good hints. I like that we're slowly pushing along these hints with Tristan, with Dakan, with these flashbacks. And about Dakan being Lauren's godfather, I'm so curious as to what this means regarding Tristan, Dakan's relationship with him, his relationship with Lauren's parents. How close is Lauren to him? It sounds like from what Tristan was saying that she's close enough, she's fairly close, but we'll have to see. And was Dakan affiliated with, or did he even know of, the Snapdragon? I have a lot of questions, and it just sets up the mind and the theories churning in the background for that. Uh, apart from that, we got so many good, great moments with Karen and Lauren that really speaks to their evolution of their relationship. I'll just run through quickly some of my moments that I really enjoyed of theirs. The first one being Kieran teasing Lauren about being ready for their date, which is totally shades of their first expedition that they took together, ready for our date officer. And his behavior this time around is very, very different. It's so funny to see how much Kieran has changed. He immediately takes it back. He uno reverse cards and he's like, sorry, sorry, that was inappropriate. I take that back. And Lauren didn't even have to say anything. She just gave him a look and he com immediately retracts and she tells him, you know, to never, ever mention it again. And he's just sitting there like a chastised puppy dog saying duly noted. And it's hilarious. Another moment I really loved was in their conversation about keeping their mission secretive. Lauren has a history of worrying and letting things kind of eat at her internally, and Kieran kind of catches her starting to do that when she says, we really can't tell anyone, and he kind of stops and he's like, hey, don't panic, it'll do you no good. He grounds her in that moment, and she ends up sharing with him the knowledge that she has of Tim's sake, that she cross paths with him as a detective, and it's less the actual information that she shares, but the opening up that Lauren does in this episode is really notable, considering the space that they were in only a few days ago, a week ago, and she's opening up information to him in the last Orion and Sons move. She kind of takes off, similarly to how she did on their Anslow mission. I kind of got shades of Anslow in that moment, but this time, what's notable is that she brings Kieran with her. She kind of opens him in and she includes him in her investigation. And it's really interesting to see their relationship evolve like this. Kieran has gotten more respectful and more treading the line with Lauren as 
he should. I think that makes sense considering where she's at. And I think he should absolutely continue to be respectful of her like that. And Lorne is opening up to him a little bit more. And I think this sets them up down the line for addressing their relationship more directly. Yeah, their dynamic has definitely changed. It's familiar. It looks like what it was before, but it's definitely a little bit different. And it'll be really exciting to see where it goes. Let's round up some of our closing thoughts and predictions, hopes, maybe, for the coming episodes. Yeah, overall, this was a good set of episodes, minus the Kim and Will intermission. That did feel a little bit strange, but everything else felt very, 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 very satisfying. Mm -hmm. What are you looking forward to in in terms of episodes to come and, and how we've been set up? I'm really curious about the resolution to the last cliffhanger in episode 65. I think that's very exciting and very cool. The plot is moving in a direction that I think we're all looking forward to. I can agree with that. I think we are being set up for more Phantom Scythe, for more Lorne and Kieran jaunts and missions, and to get a little bit more information about the Snapdragon and about how all of these characters that we've been getting hints about factor into the overall story. Do you have any other closing thoughts? Yeah, one of the main things that I noticed and paid attention to in this arc is the progression of the Kieran and Lauren relationship. I'm really glad that we got that apology from Kieran in episode 59. I think he made a good first step. He didn't truly get vulnerable, and I think that is a conversation to come, but I think he made the necessary step in the moment that would potentially set themselves up for that vulnerable conversation because we've gone from Lauren not really being willing to even share space with him to in episode 65 where she is willingly cooperating. Not completely willingly, but she is cooperating with him. And I think the way that he expressed his apology in episode 59 was the only step he could have taken where she would have heard him. And that will set us up later on for a situation where they can get a little more vulnerable and everything that he'll be able to express, she will be able to be present for and take in because right now she's not. In general, it is cool to see the progression of their relationship. This webtoon is strongest when it focuses on the two of them. They are the center that the other characters in the plot kind of revolve around and in my opinion, nothing else in the webtoon is strong enough to hold up the focus apart from them. So when they are driving the action, the plot, and the tension, the webtoon is super compelling. Yeah, I would agree with that. We love reading Lauren and Kieran. Yeah, they are definitely the highest point of this webtoon. Thank you very much for listening to this recap episode we did of Purple Heisen. We're going to do another one. We're probably going to continue to do them. So stick around if you like them. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, talking about 
episodes 58 to 65 of Purple Hyacinth. This was super fun to do. We love reading this webtoon and it is always a joy to talk about. If you want to chat with us, share your theories and your thoughts on the podcast episode or on the webtoon episodes we chat about, feel free to message us. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at The Webtoon Room. You can even email us. We're available at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you want to, to leave a five-star Apple podcast rating. We'll always appreciate that. Thank you all again for listening to today's episode. We will see you next week. Bye.